Welcome to Phone Messages, episode 189. It's Robin. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I play a message from my friend Robin Shopes, whom I had not spoken to in over 30 years. When I found she was now a professor of linguistics and anthropology at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, I reached out and she generously agreed to be interviewed. Her message is three seconds long and comes from the spring of 1990. Here we go. Hi, Paul. It's Robin. Um What comes to mind is that year of my life, my freshman year of college, I was probably calling you. It's like the spring and trying to coordinate. So were we going to maybe go hear music? Yeah, I think this is coming to me that you had a car. Definitely. Um, A lot of people like the fact that I had a car. (laughs) So I know at some point you started a record label. I'd like to ask you how that came about. I had a radio show at WHPK. And later at WHPK, I became like the rock program director. And so then I would also be called by record labels trying to get their artists get airplay and stuff. So then I started to meet, you know, musicians and record label people within Chicago. And I was kind of like, how does somebody even start a record label? And in in this period of time, they're really, you know, the punk rock ethos of like, that a small person without capital could do something. And, you know, I was friends with Tim Adams, who did Ajax records. And he's like, oh, well, you know, these are the names of the places that will press vinyl and he knew stuff about like how many copies you get and I was just you know just shooting the breeze with him and I think it came up at a party Rob Schrader who also was a HPK DJ was interested in this idea and then we were talking at a party like oh you know this would be cool to do so Rob and I yeah started Trixie Records and I drew the insignia and came up with the name so it was just this thing I did and I do remember at the time it was like oh you're the youngest woman to run a record label but it's like oh well this record label was really small and it didn't have employees it was just me and Rob. So you come up with the idea for a record label and then decide okay we would like to do a record of this band They did whatever mixing they wanted to do, they did. We weren't involved in that. And then they give us the masters and the artwork. The masters were DAT tapes. It looks kind of like a little cassette and you mail that physically off to the factory. I think that we ended up having the vinyl press in Tennessee and then they mail you back (laughs) your records. We're not talking about, like, we were pressing less than 500 copies, I want to say. 
so to me, it was like the way that we're helping those bands is not how many copies they're selling, but that they've met some little milestone of being able to be considered legitimate and go on tours, bigger tours. Did you help the bands promote their records? So I didn't personally like call college radio stations. The idea of that would mortify me. I hate phone calls and like, you know, that'd be like telemarketing, like cold calling. Neither of us wanted a career in music. I suppose if one of us had, I mean, that would have been something we could have made a career for ourselves by promoting the hell out of some band that's on our label. And therefore, then our label becomes a prominent known thing. I think, you know, paradoxically, we had this record label, but we both really hated record labels and were subscribe to this truly indie like ideal of music and so it was like well god neither of us would want to make it be our whole fucking career like that would be like joining the enemy i mean it was like i don't know some of the things that we released um a label that cared about (laughs) making money off of it probably wouldn't have released those I mean, we didn't want to lose a whole ton of money, but I remember having a conversation where it's like, okay, we're each going to put in a thousand dollars and just viewing it as like, that's money that's gone. We're not trying to make that back (laughs) necessarily. Like, let's just do this for the experience of doing it. Trixie Records released seven singles and one full-length album during the two years Robin co-managed the label. An impressive feat, considering she was a full-time student and also directed rock programming at WHBK. Two of the bands recorded by Trixie included Friends of Mine. First, Trixie number 3 was a 7-inch single from Drag King, titled Jazz Monster. Drag King is the band previously discussed on the podcast by its guitarist, Benjamin Evans. Second, Trixie No. 5 was a single from Sabalon Glitz, which had Carla Bruce as vocalist and theremin player. Carla was part of the Speed Scat jam sessions that Ben played in before Drag King was formed. After Robin left Trixie to start graduate school, Sabalon Glitz ended up producing a full-length album for the label, titled Euphonic. This 1995 CD would be the last Trixie release. Nonetheless, one member of Sabalon Glitz went on to hit the jackpot by receiving a contract with a major label. Chris Holmes, who graduated from the University of Chicago in 1994, was picked up by Atlantic. However, unlike the edgy experimental sound of Sabalon Glitz, Holmes formed a highly refined pop orchestra called Yum Yum and released an album titled Dan Loves Patty on the Atlantic imprint Tag Recordings. The album received positive reviews from critics, but sold less than 10,000 copies. 
Holmes's experience with a major label was transformed into an allegory about selling out in a 1998 article for Harper's Magazine titled Pop Music in the Shadow of Irony by Thomas Frank. Frank, a founder of Baffler Magazine, which I discussed back in episode 95, portrays Holmes as someone with a grand strategy to mimic 60s pop rock and sell it as irony. Whether or not mainstream media understood the irony, they promoted Holmes as providing a fresh direction that might replace the worn-out sound of grunge. The disappointment for Holmes came from Atlantic's failure to promote the record meaning it received little radio airplay and his music video was never shown on MTV. Despite this, Holmes went on to find a successful career in music, collaborating with artists such as Mandy Moore and Hanson. At the same time, his own group, Ashtar Command, has licensed songs to commercials and TV shows like Grey's Anatomy. Rest assured, this podcast will never sell out. But if you have an offer, you can contact me at pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. Many thanks to Robin for revisiting some classic tracks. And thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.